The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The shift in strategy is a horrible one, is an immoral one. It seems his only tool available is to brutalize individual citizens. Very simply, Ukraine needs drones. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. She supports no limits of any kind. That is out of the mainstream. That is radical. No, Senator, I don't think it's okay for a 10-year-old girl to be raped and have to carry the seed of her rapist. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Vladimir Putin expands martial law in Ukraine and targets more civilians in another barrage of drone strikes Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. As Washington condemns Russia's behavior, we're joined tonight by someone trying to make a difference. Actor Mark Hamill. Yes, that Mark Hamill, who's agreed to help Ukraine as its new ambassador of drones, helping to raise money for the resistance. A fascinating conversation ahead you will not want to miss. Later, midterm politics. We'll check in with Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins on the ground in Nevada. Tracking tight races for Senate and Governor will also bring you inside last night's Senate debate in Florida, which is still echoing here inside the Beltway. Our signature panel helps us make sense of it all. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us for the hour. And on this 35th anniversary of Black Monday, the onslaught continues in Ukraine. The sound of drone strikes from Russia. Iranian drones aimed at civilian infrastructure. Power and water facilities targeted, killing 17 civilians since we last spoke yesterday, wounding 29 more. Vitaly Klitschko is the mayor of Kyiv. Russians, they destroyed our country. They destroyed our hometown. They, they killed civilians right now. As Vladimir Putin extends martial law to the so-called annexed areas of Ukraine, clamping down on movements. President Biden was asked about it today at the White House. Vladimir Putin finds himself in an incredibly difficult position. And what it reflects to me is it seems his only tool available to him is to brutalize individual citizens in Ukraine, Ukrainian citizens to try to intimidate them into capitulating. They're not going to do that. Thank you. Not going to do that, he said. And of course, that is what we are hearing from President Zelensky and Ukrainians who are now more than eight months into this war. As we discussed yesterday, there is a debate that is emerging about how much financial support, how much weaponry the U.S. and allies, but specifically the U.S., should continue to provide Ukraine. And as we heard, there are concerns by some Republicans who expect to take control of the House in November that the days of blank checks are about to end, considering the inflationary environment, talk of a recession, other priorities here domestically. 
And it's part of the reason why we're seeing private fundraising kick in now. United 24 is a program that was launched by President Zelensky, launched by the government of Ukraine, to help raise money in any number of areas. One of them is acquiring drones. And they've turned to none other than Luke Skywalker for help. Mark Hamill, the actor from Star Wars fame, is now officially signed on as Ukraine's ambassador of drones. And I had a chance to talk about him, go deeper inside how all of this began with Mark Hamill. Listen. Well, I appreciate you giving me the, the, the coverage because it's, a, it's such a, a crucial uh, thing. I mean, I, just to start at the beginning, my wife said, you've been contacted by President Zelensky. <laughs> and I thought, am I being pranked by one of my merry band of friends? But once we realized it was true, I first I spoke to the people in his administration, and then they did a Zoom with the president himself. Mm-hmm. And he asked me to join United 24, which is their fundraising platform. And there were different people being involved. There was Liv Schreiber and Imagine Dragons and Barbara Streisand. But we all had different uh, areas. And my particular area was Army of Drones. That's right, yes. I think they picked me because it sounds like another episode of Star Wars. Well, sure. I figured that Uh, was no accident to have uh, (laughs) Luke Skywalker be the ambassador of drones. Well... The, 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 the thing is, very simply, Ukraine needs drones. And, you know, they, they define war outcomes. They, uh, they protect their land, their people. Their, they monitor the border. They're their eyes in the sky. To donate, you go to u24.gov.ua forward slash dronation. Got it. D-R-O-N-A-T-I-O-N u24.gov.ua forward slash donation. And not just, we're not just looking for monetary contributions, but if you have an actual drone. I saw that. I was really shocked because, I mean, they give me these <laughs> updates at least two or three times a week mm-hmm. about what's going on. And they said that they've received over 500 drones. Incredible. <laughs> so I started this. I know, because you've seen what's gone on in the last week. Russia launched, on Monday, they launched an attack on Ukrainian capital using Iranian-made... They sure did. ...Shahed drones. 37 of the 43 drones were down, and and six, they say, arrived. I bet she, she means survived. I mean, listen, kamikaze drones, you know. Yep. I mean, if it's if it's like it wasn't World War II, that means the, hit their target and explode. Yeah, the drone itself is the weapon. Exactly. And it's just... So disheartening to see them attacking civilian outlets, civilian targets, uh, infrastructure, uh, hitting children's playgrounds, schools. It's just awful. And I think after the Ukrainians bombed the Crimean Bridge, it really irritated Putin. And he's been particularly brutal since that happened. And, you know, I think of this, it's not just the Ukraine's problem. I think the whole world uh, should be aiding Ukraine because the entire civilized world is united against this hostile invasion by into a sovereign nation, the likes of which I've never seen in my lifetime. Yeah. I guess you have to go back to World War II That's to figure right. out the last time something like this happened. 
So um, I was struck it, by your tweet of October 1st, and this is the first time I, I heard anything about your involvement here. It had the image of a lone X-Wing fighter, colored right. blue and yellow, facing off with a fleet of Star Destroyers. And right. it had simply the words, resist, stand with Ukraine. Was this a personal thing for you, Mark? Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, you sit and you watch the news. I'm a news junkie. I read papers every day. I watch the news. And you feel so, it seems so futile. I mean, you go, what, I feel so helpless. What can I do? Well, when I was contacted and asked to do this, I didn't have to think for a second. I mean, I'll do whatever they want me to do. Well. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, and I, I hope, uh, you know, over 115 countries have uh, donated, which is why I think uh, it, it's it's such a David and Goliath situation. You talked about that poster with this little tiny X-wing yeah. going up against this gigantic armada of, of star destroyers. It, it is very David and Goliath. So I mean, I like everyone assumed. Uh, I guess they invaded on the twenty fourth of February. Mm-hmm that they would be offered no resistance, that they'd just fold. I didn't know much about Ukraine at all. I, I knew I knew about President Zelensky after the first impeachment. Yes, of is course. Is what brought him on the radar screen. So I started, like, researching him mm-hmm. and the country of Ukraine. You must be impressed really, he was an actor. Yes. I didn't go to law school like he did, but, you know, life imitates art, and for him to... <laughs> portray this fictional character who winds up becoming it's the president remarkable. of Ukraine and then for it to happen in real life it's you know that's 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 a movie in and of itself oh, true i have to ask you mark about the a debate that's just emerging here in washington and it's not one that you're going to be glad to hear about maybe you already have but kevin mccarthy who wants to be the next speaker says if republicans take over the house Basically, we're going to have a second look at funding for Ukraine. He was telling yes. uh, Punchbowl that, you know, this is not going to be a blank check. So I guess my question for you is, and we don't have to get political in this interview, is this going to be a private sector fundraising operation, much like you're doing as we move forward? Well, I expect to continue until they say you're, you're, you're done. I mean, I'm not going to give up. Sure. Uh, but is this going to replace government funding from the U.S., I guess is my question. Look, uh it's impossible not to get political. The coalition that we have now are, are Democrats, independents, and reasonable Republicans that live in the fact-based community, you know, because there's no evidence whatsoever. And I think of all the damaging things the former president did, one that will have reverberate into the future and affect us for years to come, is this election-denying thing. I have Republican friends. I have independent friends. And we disagree on policy, but it didn't make us enemies. We're still friends. Yeah. Now it's gotten so toxic. Is this your so next cause, to- Mark? No, no. I Look, I always vote. I've never not voted. I, for some reason, even as a kid, I'm old enough to remember in grade school when Nixon was running against Kennedy, and I didn't know any of the issues. I just knew one sort of beamed sunshine, had a great smile, and made people laugh. He was funny. The other one was this glowering sort of scary guy that reminded me of my one of the teachers I was afraid of at school. If we could get the, uh, the 18 to 25-year-olds, I don't know what percentage of them voted. I think it's around 22, 23 percent, but whatever the number is, if you get up that up 5, 6 percent, Young people could rule the world. Hmm. I mean, I think 
they've awoken a sleeping giant between the Dobbs decision getting rid of Roe v. Wade and I've never seen an election where a threat to democracy is one of the top issues. Would you come but, to Washington uh, to testify if, if they asked you to on behalf of Ukrainian funding? Look, I'm going to do what they want me to do. I don't see the value. In, and I said to them, I said, you know, most people know because of my social media and so forth that what my politics are. I mean, yeah. I was never an activist or a, a pundit in any way. And I mean, I've been asked to be on um, MSNBC and CNN mm-hmm. uh, before, but that was before this. And I always declined because I thought, you know, that's not my area and I should shut up. And I would say to people that, you know, people that want me to campaign in their states and so forth, I said, look, it could backfire. I mean, the opposition will point me as an elitist Hollywood <laughs> celebrity, and, and and so I, you know, I, I have to be very careful about that. Yeah. But I, you know, like I say, I'm here to do whatever the Ukrainian government wants me to do. Well, you know, Vladimir Putin certainly knows who you are, which must be odd to think about. What's your message to him? You know, that's funny that you should mention that because it never occurred to me. Uh, that he would. I mean, I guess now you're right. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I just hope he finds a way to save face and, you know, declare his version of victory so that he can stop. But, you know, that's, you know, that's just the optimist. Though. I mean, I'm, there's got, you've got to find hope where you can find it. And I would hope that there's a way to to maneuver him into a situation where he can say, okay, I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. But I don't know. I mean... You're talking to one of the wealthiest audiences that you'll find in American broadcasting here. We're on Bloomberg, Mark. That's what they tell me, at least. Okay. Uh, so, So tell them what they can do now to make a difference. Well, like I say, I mean, any amount of money, I mean, kids, give up that pint of Ben and Jerry's and send that ice cream money or your wealthy uh, viewers and listeners can send as much as they can afford to the website that I mentioned. Uh, United24, absolutely. And, and, okay. and as Mark said, you can donate money or you can, as they say, dronate a drone. <laughs> I love that pun. I thought that was but, pretty good. Well, I mean, um, that, that's my, I'd have to tell you, my, my kids are always complaining about my Twitter. They go, Dad... Your your Twitter account is just so full of dad jokes. Oh, I said, God. what are you talking about, dad jokes? I have three kids, and the one said, obvious. The second <laughs> one said, full of puns. The third one said, not funny. <laughs> Come on. It's said, why you? If it makes me laugh, it should make other people laugh, not just all the senior citizens. But, you know, you do what you can. Well, I just, they couldn't have found a better ambassador, a better emissary, and we're delighted you came here to help deliver the message, and we're going to spread the word, Mark Hamill. I Thanks really appreciate so you. Thanks. I appreciate Bloomberg giving me the, the airtime, because like I say, it's, a, it's crucial that we all continue to do whatever we can to yeah. make this dreadful war come to an end. President Zelensky issued a statement upon uh, your meeting, and there was a photograph of you guys talking there on the screen, and the first right. line is, may the force be with you. Did he say that to you? <laughs> yes. Well, the thing is, 
I'm always shocked. I mean, I was I was on the air with Jim Acosta. I had no idea he was a Star Wars nerd. He oh, did yeah, a Yoda did. impression on the air. Yeah. And I find it delightful. But you see, one of the things that I understand about that is that Star Wars was conceived as a fairy tale for children. George wanted to tell the story, and he said if he put it in reality, it'd be so corny. You know, he thought <laughs> back to the old westerns where the good guy wore a, a, a white hat, you yeah. know, and he thought the only way I can get away with this without people laughing it off the screen is to put it in a galaxy far, far away <laughs> because it, it's, 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 it, the, the good is clearly defined, mm-hmm. evil is clearly defined, and they're, they're endlessly optimistic films. They're telling you that if you do the right thing for the right reasons, selflessly, not thinking about your own you know, not to help yourself, but to help everyone around you, you will succeed. And those are things that probably resonate with both Jim Acosta and Zelensky. They, they, you know, they're my son's age. They, they probably were six or seven years old when they saw those movies. So, yeah, not only did he say that, but he, he referred to Russia as the evil empire. Now, how can you argue wow. with that? <laughs> well, I was five. And there you uh, go. and I'm still watching him. And Mark well, Hamill, listen, thank you. I tell you, if I wasn't an actor, I'd love to have your job because, like I huh. told you, I'm a news junkie, and to get paid to follow what's going on in the world and interview people and write articles, it must be the best job in the world. So. It's it's well, I get to talk to people like you. It is pretty great. And you know, <laughs> this microphone is yours anytime you want to host this program. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mark Hamill, for being with us, and good luck with this effort. My pleasure. You think he'd fill in? I think we have him fill in on the fastest hour in politics. Mark Hamill for you there. Only on Bloomberg Radio. An unlikely conversation with an unlikely ambassador at this time of war. And realizing not everyone agrees with his politics. I'm still glad we could bring you that interview. It's one you will not hear on the radio tonight anywhere else. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We assemble our panel now, having had our conversation with Mark Hamill and updating you on not only the effort here to help in Ukraine, raise money for drones, among other things, but the terrible news from the last 24 hours in Ukraine, this endless barrage of drones in the skies over cities like Kiev, another 17 civilians killed, and now an expanded martial law is called by none other than Vladimir Putin in the areas he claimed to have annexed. Jeannie Shanzano is here. Rick Davis is, too. Bloomberg Politics contributors make up our signature panel. Rick, this is a very difficult situation here, and it seems the more desperate Vladimir Putin gets as his troops lose ground, the more drones are going to be raining on Ukraine. Yeah, you know, we every day we seems we talk about, you know, how is Vladimir Putin? How do we keep him from escalating? And the reality is there's nothing we can do to keep him from escalating. This is his plan. Uh, it hasn't probably always been his plan. I'm, I think he's probably in plan C, D or E by mm. now because yeah. the others have failed. But the reality is he's not going to stop killing people in the Ukraine, 
till he gets what he wants. And the fact that he's turning Russia into a terrorist state, he doesn't care. It's all about Vladimir Putin. And so the fact that the EU is now, you know, we've talked about secondary sanctions. Now they're right. going after Iran for giving, uh, you know, drones to, uh, to, to, to Russia. I, I think that's a very good strategy. And anybody in between, shipping companies that are moving them and mm -hmm. anybody who helps transship these things should be caught up in sanction regimes too. We've got to start shutting down Russia's access to outside equipment. Uh, you know, Russia, we, we talk all the time about, oh, we don't want to give them weapons, yeah, well, you know, that would go into the Russian territory. What do you think these drones are coming from Iran? So uh, I think we've got to start to change our minds on how we feel about uh, escalation. When you see the images, uh, Jeannie, it's a horror movie. It's a horror show here. I mean, at what point do we say, you know what, whatever you want, whatever you want, we're going to send it. Well, you know, it's going to be increasingly difficult if in this election, and you mentioned this in your interview, uh, Republicans take over. And, you know, we had Mike Pence out today reacting to Kevin McCarthy, suggesting there's no more blank check for Ukraine if Republicans take over. Mike Pence pushing back on that, saying the conservative movement can't be apologists for Putin. But mm -hmm. that is increasingly what we're seeing in the Republican Party. And the polls reflect that as well. We've seen a drop off in support. And this is why I think your conversation with Mark Hamill was so important because you know as horrific as the images are and you've talked about that media coverage in the United States has dropped off a bit and support in the polls is dropping off a bit as well and we may see that reflected in coming down the pike in the funding so mm -hmm. it's really important that you have conversations like this and Joe Matthew I have to ask you a question when you <laughs> were a little kid and you watched yeah. Star Wars yeah did you ever imagine you'd be talking to Luke Skywalker and he'd want your well, job I mean, I'm just amazed by that. <laughs> technically, I thought I was Luke Skywalker, so I guess okay. it all comes together here. And he should have this job. He seems pretty engaged in things. But no, you know, we can't lose you, Joe. Matt. Well, Don't say it. Sure, <laughs> co-host, fine. But, no. but you two guys, let's be honest, are are much more steeped in the politics of Washington than Mark Hamill ever would be while he's obviously engaged in the news and what's happening here. Uh, Rick, do you see this as a, as a private fundraising movement that might replace government funding? No, uh, I, there's no way that you could replace the just $40 billion dollars that, yeah. you know, the government has already committed in its last tranche in May. So it's a good thing. Uh, and I applaud people like uh, Mark Hamill to uh, get involved with Ukraine. And, and, and we should do everything we can to, to support that uh, corporations and private individuals and charities and foundations. But the reality is that this is a geopolitical situation where the, the free countries of the world need to ensure that, that Vladimir Putin's plan does not get achieved, and that is to not only subjugate Ukraine, but to subjugate the democracies all around the world who are at risk by uh, Ukraine losing this war. You know, Jeannie, I wouldn't leave you like that. Um, Thank you, Joe. I, but I'm, still, I'm a little I mean, concerned. <laughs> to be left with uh, Luke Skywalker at the same time, I mean, it would be a pretty good option, I feel like. Yeah, not, not, he's not you, but, you know, he, he would be okay. <laughs> uh, yes, of course, and indeed. Stay with us. The panel's here all hour. We're going to turn to domestic politics here coming up. Be careful who you talk to in this place, by the way. A hive of villainy on the fastest hour in politics. We're going to bring in Emily Wilkins next. Actually, she's already there. It's called Las Vegas, Nevada politics. This is Bloomberg. They both had the same job. They were both attorney general 
in Nevada. Now they both want to be senator. Well, of course, she already is. The senator from Nevada, Catherine Cortez Masto, up against the Donald Trump-endorsed Adam Laxalt, both held the job of AG. One wants to keep coming to Washington. Laxalt would like the same for the first time here. And it's been quite an ad war with a race that is too close to call. They stormed the Capitol because they were told the election was stolen. Who helped push that lie? Let's bring in one of the president's foot soldiers in this battle, Adam Laxalt. Adam Laxalt. Senator Cortez Masto undermining the federal investigation into Biden family corruption. Just a taste of what Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins is enduring every time she walks past a TV in the great city of Las Vegas. That's where she joins us right now. I'm just uh, just guessing what the signs must be like, what the ads must be like. It's in the air, Emily. What are you seeing? Oh, I was watching the local news today. The ads are thick, and it's not just for the Senate race. Obviously, one of the most competitive Senate races we have right now. But you also got to remember, Joe, we have a competitor, competitive governor's race here, yep. and we have three competitive House races. Nevada's only got four seats. Three of them are considered very competitive this cycle with incumbent Democrats really having to defend their record in a state that's been very hard hit was hard hit by the pandemic, is still grappling with high gas prices, high rent prices. Economic concern is a really big deal here, and Democrats are trying to figure out a way to message to voters uh, so that they are able to, to hold on to their seats. But it's not it's not an easy task. It's been a, a pretty contentious uh, debate here, as we just heard with a sampling of ads. Uh, have they had a debate? Are they going to, Emily? They haven't had debate. They're not going to have a debate. We saw two of the lawmakers. Uh, it, this is happening kind of across the country right now. Yeah. I know we're seeing a lot of debates, but we are, there are also so many where we're not seeing debates or in things like Florida, where it's like, okay, we saw one debate between the two senators, mm-hmm. but that was the only one. And you're seeing that trickle down to House races as well. I, I think part of that is that, you know, you're we're in kind of this new era where candidates don't necessarily feel they need to talk to the media or go up on the debate stage to get their message out, that they can just much more closely uh, drive the narrative uh, by not doing anything uh, except for their own media and own friendly press. But, you know, it is it is a trend we're seeing not just here in Nevada, but, but really all over the country. But I think it speaks to just how contentious things are uh, in this particular race uh, and between these two candidates. Where has Laxalt uh, been on the election denying issue? Has he backed off that as as this became a general election contest? I mean, Laxalt, it's very interesting because he's gotten support both from sort of the Trump wing of the party as well from uh, Mitch McConnell and sort of the more mainstream Republicans. And so he's done what he can to really appeal to both groups on that. Uh, He's definitely tried to sort of downplay um, any concerns about the election. But for Cortez Masto, it's something that she's really trying to push along with uh, issues like abortion. I mean, that's the big one for, for Democrats that I've seen while I've been down here. So, no, I mean, it is still something that 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 could and, and is a, a factor in the overall race. But I think when you're talking to people about what sort of their top of mind issue is, a lot of folks don't necessarily say that that it's the future of our democracy, despite the fact that that's, you know, something that I know you and, and I and, and many folks who study the government closely are really watching right now. Yeah, of course. Uh, I see Barack Obama made an endorsement in the governor's race, endorsing Governor Sisolak uh, against Joe Lombardo who is backed by Donald Trump. Does this become an Obama-Trump proxy? Tell us more about it. 
Well, it's very interesting because Obama announced today that he will be here on November 1st. He'll be here uh, with the governor, uh, with Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. They expect to have other down-ballot Democrats as well. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw all three of the current House Democrats defending their seats show up for that one. Uh, but, you know, this is Obama coming Biden did not come to Nevada and he came out here to go to California to go to Oregon, did not show up in Nevada. And I think Hmm. that really speaks to just the sentiment that's out there right now toward Biden and toward the job that he has done as president, uh, despite, you know, him really sort of playing well on the campaign trail in certain areas. There are other areas of the country where lawmakers aren't exactly clamoring to have him come. Fascinating. And it really speaks to the fact that you have to be there. You have to go there, be on the ground like Emily is to really understand what's going on. It's great to have you back, Emily. You back by Friday night or what? Uh, I actually just got the trip extended till Saturday. Oh, unfortunately. Right. Man, I'll have tell a taco you. for me at the press. Well, <laughs> I will listen. I'm not without you, but we miss you here uh, inside the bubble. Emily, thank you, as always, a friend of the program. And of course, Bloomberg Politics. Congress reporter. Let's uh, bring in the panel here uh, for a moment uh, just to get some impressions as this is one of five Senate races uh, rated as a toss up by the Cook Political Report. And of course, that's, you know, look, that's not the final word, but it does give you a sense here. Nevada should be on your list of races to watch. Republicans, remember, need a net gain of only one seat to take majority in the Senate. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Uh, are back with us here. Jeannie, what's your take on, on the Senate race specifically here? Cortez Masto, Adam Laxall, too close to call. It is too close to call, and you're absolutely right. You know, this is one of the top two races that people say potentially Republicans can flip. Nevada and Georgia, the two, and then, of course, they're trying to hold Pennsylvania. Those are the three most watched this cycle, and it is just way too close. I think Real Clear has Cortez Masso up to not Uh where Democrats want to be right now. And, you know, Emily's point is so important. Joe Biden staying away, I think, speaks volumes. I was also interested to hear her say she is hearing a lot on the ground about the issue of women's health care and abortion. So, you know, even though it may not be the paramount issue, it is still there and something that Democrats are really hoping can keep them in that seat. Who decides this race, Rick? Is this independence again? Uh, you know, independence, but I mean, it's it's working class voters, right? And these are the ones that are the swing voters and they're going to decide the outcome of not just this race, but many others. That's going to be Latino voters in many cases on the strip, though, right? Well, it's quite a mix these days, but yeah, they're going to yeah. vote heavy. We'll uh, pick this up straight ahead with Rick and Jeannie. Not only the Nevada race, I want to go to Florida. Val Demings pulled it out last night against Marco Rubio. My God. We'll bring you in the room because we're watching so you don't have to. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. There's a lot to be said for name recognition in politics. And when we look closely at this Senate race in Nevada, it's enjoyed by both candidates. Laxalt's grandfather, Adam Laxalt's grandfather, Paul, was both governor and senator. Cortez Masto's dad, Manny, headed the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority and was tight with a guy named Harry Reid. 
And you wonder, as you fast forward to 2022, what either of those legacies represent for people in Nevada. Of course, a transient community in many cases, a lot of people coming and going in a city like Las Vegas and a lot of growth, people moving into Las Vegas or other parts of Nevada from various parts of the country might not have that history. Let's bring in Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano again, reassemble the panel for our final moments here on Bloomberg Sound On. Uh, Rick, to what extent does name recognition when you come from a political family like that uh, help you or hurt you in a race like this one? You know, I think it helps you initially. It helps you develop uh, a team of supporters, professional staff, uh, donors are gravitated toward name ID uh, early on. But once a campaign starts and those ads start to burn in, uh, your name ID is going to be caught up fast by anybody else in the race. So mm-hmm. it's something you can buy. But if it's really positive, uh, Paul Laxalt left the state, left the political scene as an icon. And so that really is one of the best things about name ID if you're a Laxalt is it's positive. Right. As opposed to a little bit of Harry Reid uh, rubbing off on Eugenie, I'm not sure how that, how that impacts a Democratic vote or an independent one in this day and age. Yeah, it it could be a mixed bag today, Um, you know, but like so many other professions, politics is something of a family legacy sport. At least I agree with Rick. Initially, it gets you sort of the name recognition, the funding out there. You have you're able to attract people to the campaign. There's a great deal of interest. I mean, you know, there are a lot of years when we had choices for president and they were either Clinton or Bush, you know, and so we've all seen that in the United States. But that wears off, I think, as the campaign goes on and they have to prove their mettle. And I think one of the frustrations, quite frankly, for Democrats out in Nevada and in Washington, D.C., is that Cortez Masso is the incumbent and they expected her to be up more than she is. But granted, it is a tough year for Democrats. Well, I want to ask you both uh, about the situation in Florida. It's quite a debate last night. Uh, Congresswoman Val Demings up against Senator Marco Rubio, a race that we shouldn't even be talking about right now in the state of Florida. But it was quite a performance, and, and I'm not going to weigh in on who won or whatever. This may, may have no impact on the race at all. But Val Demings raised a lot of eyebrows last night, having been clearly well-prepared for this debate, but also just brought a very disarming sort of posture to the conversation. It wasn't a typical back and forth. Listen to Marco Rubio here going after Val Demings, and he came loaded for bear as well. He had a lot of attack lines, a lot of things to to criticize Demings about, and she tended to be ready for all of them. She's been in Congress for over half a decade. She's never passed a bill, not PPP, not anything, not a single bill she's passed has ever become law. I'm proud of the fact we saved millions of jobs. I'm proud of the fact we did it in a bipartisan way. That's not true. I know the senator, look, and, and I'm really disappointed in you, Marco Rubio, because I don't, I think there was a time when you did not lie in order to win. I don't know what happened to you. You know that is not true. My first term in, this, in the United States House, I passed legislation to help law enforcement officers with mental health programs. Now this, and in many of these exchanges, Val Demings turns all the way to her right and looks directly at Marco Rubio, who's looking straight ahead at the camera. Now, I've got a couple of questions for both of you. I will set the the sort of a baseline here. According to Real Clear Politics, Rubio is up almost five points in the poll of polls. This is Marco Rubio country, right? Uh, but I wonder if, if this debate moved the needle for you, Rick. 
Um, you know, it's hard to say. The, the issues weren't a surprise. They've been sure. debated for quite some time. Uh, I do think anything that Val Demings could do to get noticed. I mean, it's unfortunate that uh, this campaign was interrupted by Hurricane Ian and, and mm. devastation it brought and everything got put on a hold. Uh, and, and when you're the challenger, you don't like that. That's an unfortunate set mm. of circumstances. So she was clearly under pressure to use this debate to get back in this game and trying to get people's attention on her. And I would say that the, the mention you said about looking at Marco Rubio, I, I think when you are trying to communicate with voters and have a conversation with them, you yeah. got to look at the camera. They don't understand that you're looking sideways at another candidate standing on the stage. So that wasn't good for you. You wouldn't, if you're, if you're preparing a candidate, Rick, you tell them you keep your eyes trained on that camera. Don't engage the person to your left or right. Yeah, you have so few opportunities to talk directly to voters uh, during a campaign that's not muted by some kind of media interference. And so huh. here's you got a whole hour to have a conversation with voters and you're looking in the other way. And it's just I would never advise that. What was your thought on on that, the, the sort of optics of that debate, Jeannie? And, and was this just an interesting hour of television or something that actually factors into the race? You know, I thought the debate overall was pretty substantive, and I, I actually liked the debate format itself because it felt like they really actually engaged each other. You know, it did get down to calling each other liars and other other things. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it, it didn't seem um, as much of an interview as some of these debates seem. It really did seem like the deb they debated, and I thought Val Demings, you know, this is, a, this is another hard race for Democrats. It's a red state, you know, all mm -hmm. of the numbers show that Marco Rubio has been up and, and likely will, you know, maintain his seat. But she came out very strong. And, you know, in a campaign, when you're on the defensive, it usually means you're losing. And I have to say, during much of this debate, Marco Rubio felt to me like he was on the defensive, whether it came to an issue like climate change or it came to an issue like abortion or it came to an issue like guns. She really, really held her, her strength there in all of those yeah. cases. So, you know, I think that Marco Rubio's got to be a little bit shaken by what happened, and I think she's got to feel very, very good. But, you know, whether it's enough is a big question. Well, sometimes that's just the wake-up call you need, too, right, even as a front-runner. Uh, the issue of abortion, indeed, was resonating in the hall. A lot of questions about Marco Rubio's uh, wishes here and whether he actually supports exceptions to the law. On the issue of exceptions, I'm being attacked on a bill that has exceptions. It's written right in there. My name is on that bill. My name is on that bill. There's a reason why no bills are ever introduced without exceptions. That was asked, because, I, because that can't pass without that in there, and I understand and recognize it, and that's why I have continued to support bills that have exceptions. But she supports no limits of any kind. That is out of the mainstream. That is radical. Senator, how gullible do you really think Florida voters are? Number one, you have been clear that you support no exceptions, even including rape and incest. As a police detective who investigated cases of rape and incest, no, Senator, I don't think it's okay for a 10-year-old girl to be raped and have to carry the seed of her rapist. Wow. I'm assuming that line from Val Demings was prepared in advance, Rick. Is that... Is that the right way to go in, in a debate that brings you into people's living rooms at night? Yeah, look, uh, Marco Rubio is a very canny politician, right? Uh, he can be on both sides of this issue, and he was in this debate where he personally hmm. uh, uh, supports life at inception and doesn't want to back off of that, except that he'll, he'll admit to 
uh, sponsoring and supporting legislation that gives exceptions. So, you know, it's very hard to tie that down. But I think, you know, Demings did a good job of sort of demagoguing it to the point where this example, which has so many people have already heard about of a 10 year old girl, you know, being forced to have carry a child a term, you know, from a rapist. You know, that just that defies people's sensibilities. And Ugh. to be on the other side of that, Marco Rubio did the right thing and just didn't respond at all. Mm. That is that I mean, what else can you do, Jeannie? This is such a difficult conversation. It's it's hard to have on the air. It's hard to do it on TV in front of people you are trying to win over. It is. And it's an incredibly difficult issue. And one thing I thought she did really well is something some Democrats haven't been doing in the last few weeks is making the issue of abortion personal. It's not enough to talk about it as something was taken away by the Supreme Court or there was some change somewhere. You've got to talk about these horrible kinds of cases as difficult as they are and make it real to people. You know, the president was out yesterday talking about abortion and about he's promising to put forward legislation next year if possible. But even he didn't go to those stories. And unfortunately, that's the very type of thing you've got to do to make it real to people what this actually means and what's at stake in this election. And I think she did that well. And Rubio, again, had no answer. He basically was arguing it's not going to pass the uh, legislature, so it's not an issue. But it is an issue. And it's his position on the issue that matters. And she held him to that. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, our signature panel here on Bloomberg Sound On. Great insights, as always. These are two people not afraid to talk about anything, which is why, of course, you're with us here every night. And on this 35th anniversary of Black Monday, can you get over that 35 years? We spent a lot of time obsessing over losses these days on Wall Street, and it has been painful. But my goodness, to put that in perspective... The fact that we lost over 20% that day, if that happened today, it would be over 7,000 points on the Dow. And with a little perspective here, as we go back to that very day, someone close to our hearts here, as the home now of Wall Street Week, Lou Rukeyser spoke to America that night. Good evening, I'm Louis Rukeyser. This is Wall Street Week. Welcome back. Okay, let's start with what's really important tonight. It's just your money, not your life. Everybody who really loved you a week ago still loves you tonight. And that's a heck of a lot more important than the numbers on a brokerage statement. (laughs) The robins will sing, the crocuses will bloom. That's right. And we'll all wake up and see the sun tomorrow. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. 